When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester. And Av, I gotta tell you, I'm too weak to really express it and articulate it, but this is the greatest thing that anyone's ever done for me. And I'm Av Sedensky, and this is the end, my only friend, the end. That wasn't said at this episode of the show. No, but it's the name of the, the, name of the episode is The End. Oh, okay, fine. So we're just singing door songs now? Well, that song is called The End. So. All right, uh, welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We are here today to discuss Season 5, Episode 10, the finale of Season 5, which, uh, as Av just described, is called The End originally aired on December 4th, 2005. And very clearly, uh, there was a lot of thinking that this was the end of the series from uh, from this episode off. Yeah, it definitely has that feel to it. I think this is probably the first of now what would become basically a uh, <laughs> annual end of season feeling where is this the season finale? Is this the series finale? Does anybody know? Has Larry decided? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think this is like the first time we saw that sort of ending. Yeah, and as I, it, it'll be uh, two years before the next season airs. Um, it very clearly, and to me, like, we'll talk about this when we, we get to our ratings at the end of the episode, but I looked at this from two different perspectives. I looked at this from, like, as a regular episode of Curb, and then I looked at it as an intended uh, series finale, and I sort of graded it two separate grades, because I think those are two different things. You know what I mean? Interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, also, um, you know, I'm not sure if you're aware, but it is our uh, anniversary of doing this podcast? Of doing this podcast one year ago today, January 29th, okay. 2020. And I, and I would assume that means we have there for one year to go because, you know, uh, the end of season five. Yes, roughly. Exact halfway uh, point. We're halfway there, living on a prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another song. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just uh, one year back, we were so naive. <laughs> we thought, yeah, we'll start a podcast talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> you know, the world is quiet. The world is calm. What could go wrong? Oh. Yeah, in January 28th. Have you heard anything about this new virus in China? Nah, nah, not relevant. <laughs> Donald Trump says it's taken care of. <laughs> oh, we're not supposed to mention him anymore. All right, let's just hop into the episode. Let's hop in. Larry's house, Larry and Jeff are out in front, and Jeff is, you know, kind of like making his way around Larry's car, testing out the size, and he thinks it's a little bit small for him, but it's probably big enough for the nanny, and, you know, what what we find out is that Jeff is going to be uh, buying Larry's car off him for his nanny, and they don't know what to do with the price, and uh, Larry says, you know, how about, you know, you just give me the blue book value, and Jeff says, all right, deal. 
And uh, Cheryl pops in to let them know that uh, Lewis Lewis is out of his coma, which uh, depending on whether you're Lewis Lewis or somebody who's been hoping that Lewis Lewis would die so that you don't have to give a kidney, uh, that might be either good news or bad news. Now, I have a couple questions for you off. Number one, who is making that phone call on the other who's, end of Cheryl? Who's calling Cheryl to let him know? Let yeah. Him know? Yeah. That Lewis Lewis woke up. Um, and I, it's a two-part question because question number one is who's calling and question number two is, who's calling that when Cheryl answers doesn't immediately say, hey, let me talk to Larry? Yeah. That's it's got to be someone who's close enough to Cheryl that she's like, that they're, he or she is like, okay, well, I'll tell Cheryl right, and he a, can tell Larry. Do you have a theory or this is just a question? No, I have no idea. You have no idea. No theory. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, it can't be Richard. It yeah, wouldn't no, Richard be... wouldn't. Richard, Richard A wouldn't be calling Cheryl. B, like, yeah. wouldn't be giving Larry the updates on this because, like. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't be Jeff. Wouldn't be Jeff. Well, Jeff is there. Yeah, exactly. And so those those are the only possible people. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just maybe just maybe it's the fuck man off screen. Yeah, but the fuck no, the fuck man doesn't talk to Cheryl ever. Yeah, maybe just like Susie heard from someone or, you know, it's just word traveled and she just like heard from her friends. I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. All right. So, yeah, so we uh, we head over to anyone has any ideas. Yeah, <laughs> so we head on over to the hospital, and uh, Lewis Lewis has never been better. Yeah, it pays uh, to be in a coma. Yeah, he's up on his phone. He looks fine. He's up and about. He's going to a party tonight. He even invites a nurse who says yes. Yeah, <laughs> he asks out a beautiful nurse. What thirty years his junior? Yeah, who you know? I mean, I guess she's probably uh, gotten to know him pretty well over the last couple months. But he's you know. quiet. He's contemplative. He doesn't. You know, <laughs> he's dependable. Yes, he's. Um, I love Lewis Lewis's accent though in this episode. It's very entertaining. Yeah, he's a fun guy. Yeah. Well, he's a pretty horrible person is what we had been told previously, but yeah, I don't see it. Yeah, well, maybe, you know, maybe he's has a uh, a new lease on life, so he's uh, living oh, his see. best self right now. But Oh, the coma really changed him up. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he seems to think so. You know, he he says that, you know, he feels very refreshed uh because he's like a bear after hibernation. Um oh. You know, he'll say that. Yeah, I mean, like, like Larry's like trying to, you know, make with him. You know, how about you know, you should give the kidney, really. You know, he's your cousin. What's he? His cousin? His nephew? Yeah. Um, and he's like, no, what are you? What are you crazy? I just survived this thing. I'm not going to give away my kidney now. And Larry calls him selfish, but La- you know, Lewis Lewis knows what up. He's like, why you, did you visit me so much? Like we barely even know each other. And like Larry makes up this whole story about how he uh, comes to volunteer in hospitals to cheer up the patients. And, you know, Lewis Lewis explains, I don't need to be cheered up. I'm doing just fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, that still makes no sense, by the way. What? That he's all like, that he's a, how, like. How does Larry justify to Lewis Lewis why he's visiting him in particular? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean like, I, even even if Larry is showing up at the hospital to treat, you know, visit sick children or whatever. The nurse said, no, Larry's been hanging out near you a lot. Yeah. I mean, the doctor even like busted on him the previous week. So I feel yeah, like everybody in this him, unit yeah. already knows. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If not, the nurse is going to tell Lewis Lewis uh, at their date tonight. Yeah. And, um, you know, as Larry heads out, he for some reason, Richard Lewis is roaming the hallways in this hospital. In the hospital hallway is the darkest hospital hallway that has ever existed. Yeah. Um, Since so the it's dawn not really of electricity. clear why Richard Lewis is there, because he's usually he's usually been at home that, that we've seen him. I guess he could yeah, have randomly and, been and there if, for an and appointment. He can't, be coming, he can't be coming to visit his cousin because his cousin said that even my cousin doesn't show up to visit him. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe he was just coming for the first time. Mm. Maybe he's coming for the same reason Larry is to say, hey, you're better. Give me your kidney. Yeah, that could be. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so we head back home, and uh, Larry's very distraught. He's telling Cheryl about how he saw Richard Lewis, and he looked horrible. He had, like, the specter of death all over him, and he's haunted by that look. 
Um, yeah. It reminds me of what Jerry tells Uncle Leo when he's trying to get him to go back to his girlfriend who he had just told him to break up with. What does he tell him? He's like... He tells him, uh, till the you know, till you're gripped by the claws of death, which is not far off, mind you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Cheryl, uh, she couldn't care less about um, Richard Lewis or Larry's Kidney or any of that. She just wants to know what happened to the Sopranos DVD that's missing. Um, Larry has no idea, and he says, you know, obviously I wasn't involved in this because if it was me, I have a whole system for putting away DVDs. I put the case on top of the player, and, yeah. you know, that way it's, it's never a problem. It's foolproof. Now- now, can I just say that, like, Cheryl's preoccupation with the DVD case while Larry's talking about life and death issues is, uh, first of all, it's something I've been uh, accused of, uh, I've, or maybe I've been guilty of in, in the other direction, uh, to Jen's chagrin. But, like, I'm very surprised by Cheryl's behavior here because this seems much more like Larry behavior, doesn't it? Like, Cheryl talking about something serious, about her father being sick, and Larry being worried about something idiotic like a, a DVD case. Yeah, this is out of character. Even, like, with the Cheryl that we give a hard time, this is out of character for her. Yeah. Like, he's literally now, okay, like, I just saw my friend. He's dying. I'm going to have to give him yeah. my kidney. Like, this is it. And she's like, oh, well, my Sopranos DVD. Would you be more likely uh, to be in the Cheryl situation or the Larry situation in this scene? Oh, I mean, obviously. The, I mean, I would never be Larry. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't care about anything. Yeah, yeah you'd be Cheryl. Yeah. And then you're accused of, of not yeah, appreciating I'm not gravity capable of something. Of, and sh- yeah. yeah, I'm not and, capable and, and, of providing yeah. emotional support. Yeah. <laughs> That's not my thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's supposed to be Cheryl's, though, because it's certainly not Larry's. It's definitely not Larry's. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, back to the kidney, you know, Larry's like, well, you know, sure, I know Richard for 44 years, but he's really more of an acquaintance than a friend. Yeah. Um, I was going to use that one as the intro line today, but then yeah. I went for the, the nicer line later. Yeah, thankfully, we haven't known each other for 44 years yet. That's, it's 22. Uh, 22. Okay, so we're half. We're a half uh, yeah. Larry. Oh, no, 20. Was it 23? It's 23, yeah. 23. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, we have a podcast together, but it doesn't mean we're friends. Acquaintance. Barely. Barely. Barely even know the guy. I met him one or two times. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, wouldn't you know it, uh, Mr. Omar calls to say, hey, I have some news for you. Why don't you come see me tomorrow? So, Larry does just that, and he tells Larry that he, what he found is that you're adopted, and you are really the child of Mr. and Mrs. Cohn from Bisbee, Arizona. Um, and yeah, that's it. So Larry's like in the elevator and he looks shocked and he doesn't really know what to make of it, but slowly the shock turns into glee and he's just like racing through the streets and he goes, runs into this department store looking for Cheryl, even runs into the changing room. And she looks very good in that scene, by the way. Yeah. And just starts telling her the news very excitedly. Yeah. Incredible acting by LD here, I think. Yeah. So uh, I have a couple of uh, very annoying nitpicks here. Uh, first of all, so he, he, it's important that he doesn't know how to spell cone, right? And he discovers that upon yeah. arrival. But, like, in real life, I don't think the guy just tells you verbally and that's it. I'm sure he gives you, like, a folder of papers to just, <laughs> justify all the time and money he's taken from you. Uh, it's the cones. Here's the address. Go see them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, no no paper. Um so that, that's number one. Then I have very two uh, set design comments. First of all, Larry and Cheryl have a computer on a desk in their bedroom. I'm kind of surprised about that. Like, I feel like someone, a couple their age, with their kind of house and their kind of technology and their kind of money would have, like, a computer in, like, a separate office somewhere in the house, not in the bedroom. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then the second one, which is even weirder, is Larry in the elevator right after he leaves Omar's office. He's inside the elevator, but the inside of the elevator has on the wall the huge up-down lights 
that only exist on the wall outside the elevator on each floor. You know what <laughs> I mean? Um, not quite, but it sounds very scandalous. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just it's very very odd, um, and it was uh, very uh, off putting to me. But anyway, let's uh, let's go back. Let's meet the cones. Yeah. So well, well but first we were, were we have a uh, quick de- quick detour on the plane where uh, Larry has yeah. a panic attack because he's uh, seated in the exit row, and he tells. Did you recognize the flight attendant, by the way? Yes, but I forgot to look up exactly who she is. Is she from, is she the like the the what's it called the agent? Yeah, she's she's Jessica Wicks on Parks and Rec, three-time Miss Pawnee winner and founder and CEO of Smile Oh, Smiley okay, Walk, yes, 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 Pawnee's yes. number okay, one placement place for pageant her. training. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, uh, she is married to uh, the actress in real life. Is married to Kevin Nealon, oh. who was on an earlier episode this season. Yeah, yeah, he was the uh, his brother-in-law committed suicide. Yeah, and his his father-in-law was uh, the bonsai about, the, Yeah, kamikaze. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I will note that um, Susan Yeagley, the actress, her her IMDb page starts with a very strange sentence, in my opinion. Susan Yeagley was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee, and is an and is a documented descendant of Mayflower pilgrims through her mother's lineage. Hmm. Isn't that a weird thing to say? Well, if I was a direct descendant descendant of a Mayflower person, it I would I would want to I would scream it, it from the rooftops. It, it seems vaguely racist to me. Um, wait, I, why is it wait? Yeah, why is it racist? I don't know. Just to be clear, I've been here like from the very beginning, not like the rest of you people. I don't, oh, know. I don't know. I think it's just like a cool. Please, if you were descendant from, we would hear about but, it all the time. But I mean, the daughters of the American Revolution of the daughters of the American Revolution is an organization founded for that very purpose and is seen as a racist organization. Like you know, right? Yeah. Like, DAR I mean... is for an organization of women who can trace their lineage all the way back to 1776. And and then it essentially turned into like a white racist women's group. Okay, and fine. It sort of become like fine. Canceled. All right. I don't know. Every, yeah, yeah, it's certainly a weird thing choice. to say. I feel like in Hollywood, if anything, I'd start by saying, "Oh, by the way, I'm married to Kevin Nealon." Yeah, that might be more helpful. Yeah. Fun fact, by the way, they got married three months before this episode aired, so presumably they were dating during filming. Yeah. So that's how she got on. Yeah. I guess so. Uh, wait, uh, let's go back to the episode. So uh, there's no way a flight attendant would try to convince someone in an emergency. Of course. <laughs> right. Right. This is insane. Like, yes. Right. I'm going yeah, to risk everyone express, dying. If you don't express the utmost confidence, they pull you right out of there. You got to lie and say, oh, no, I'm definitely ready to assist. Right. Yeah. I mean, also, Larry can't afford a business class seat. Yeah. Well, well, maybe because it's last minute. But the flight isn't even full. Right. Their seat's empty, like next to him. And, the, you know, the exit, if an exit road seat's empty, I'm sure you could find a business class seat. Maybe not on this, but there's a lot of flights from LA to Tucson. You get those you know, every half an hour. Yeah. So what's the so. explanation, though, here? Why? Like, what is happening? Why is what happening? Why is he having a panic attack about this? It's just that Larry – no, I think he's just sort of making that up a little bit. Why? He's, he's, he doesn't want to be responsible for anybody else because he's Larry David, and he would never be responsible for anybody else, right? He's selfish. He's like George on the, when there's the fire with, with uh, the clown. So that's all it is? I mean, so like, why doesn't he stuck just – He's stuck in the 60s, man. So why doesn't he just say, sure, but then like it, the plane's not really going to crash? Yeah. Because he's Larry and he wants uh, – I don't know. I mean the real reason is because they need to contrast it with uh, the flight back. Right. Well, that's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah. Well, I don't really understand what the, the different situation he is on the flight out versus the flight back that makes it that like – Yeah. He, he I think, I think what would happen in real life would be Larry – or in real life. I think what would have been more realistic is Larry to say to the flight attendant, no, not really, but I'm going to tell you yes because otherwise you're going to make me switch my seat. <laughs> right. Right. That I would and buy. That, yeah. And then she tries to make him switch. 
And then he argues the other side why he wants to stay, which is really because his legs are comfortable. And they say sort of like Jerry returning for spite. He says, oh, no, okay, I take it back. I'm ready to assist. Right, right. You already 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 said you couldn't help. Yeah. Um, And you can still do the same joke on the way back where all of a sudden now he's calm. And she's like, oh, no, you're not ready to assist. No, I've really changed. Yeah. Anyway, so we meet the cones. Um, and they tell the whole story about how they met, but they had no money, so they put him up for adoption, and they're talking about his parents and how, you know, kind of their own idiosyncrasies, and uh, his mom was a little, you know, tough, tough woman. Um, it's weird, by the way, isn't it? Like, these birth parents are talking shit to him about his adoptive parents, the ones who raised him. Like, you dumped him and did nothing. These people raised him his whole life, and you're like, you have no idea his relationship. But I won't have you speak learn. ill of the cones. They're lovely people. <laughs> uh, Bisbee is a real city, by the way. has a thriving art scene. Oh, excellent. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so Larry, you know, wants to know, you well, tell me more about yourselves. What's your heritage? Um, are you, are you assume, I assume you're from Brooklyn? <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, actually, like, we're both from the Midwest. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually of, like, English heritage. My family's lived here for hundreds of years. Mm. Um, and I was like, wait, how do you Much spell like your Much like Sally Yeager. There, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was Maybe like, wait, how do you spell your name? So. And it turns out uh, they spell it not C-O-H-E-N or C-O-H-E-N. N or even K O H N. Ah, too but, Jewish. But rather C O N E, which is extremely Gentile. He sees yes. Jesus on on the wall, which is yeah. obviously very uh, very Gentile. A, a massive Jesus that's been on the wall the whole time. But Jerry, Larry hasn't noticed it until he hears how they spell their name, which is uh, very very funny. Yeah. Um, so uh, we cut to Larry out for a day in the town with his parents, and now he's you know decided to embrace his full Gentile spirit, and he's wearing a straw <laughs> yeah. hat, and you know and a fanny he's got, pack. He's got the fanny pack. He's got the is that a Gentile thing? I, I don't feel like know. that was a mom in the late '80s, early '90s thing, regardless of uh, religion. Yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, the straw hat I buy. Uh, yeah. You know, you're not going to see a Jew in a straw hat too often. <laughs> I can uh, say with 100% confidence, my mother-in-law absolutely wore a fanny pack from 1987 to 1996. Yeah, yeah fanny packs are, uh, you know, Jewish people like yeah. fanny packs. Um, <laughs> Fanny's happens, a very Jewish name. Yeah, fanny so he happens, if he happens to uh, see a Prius and, you know, he makes conversation with the guy and he says, oh, how much are you selling for it? And he learns that actually Jeff is ripping him off and he's, he's given him uh, $5,000 below Blue Book. Uh, but his mom teaches him that, you know, Love and forgiveness. Do what Jesus would do. Don't, you know, don't hold a grudge. And we get an amazing montage of uh, Larry basically being a a good old Gentile, fishing, hunting, horseback riding, fixing cars and roofs, chugging beer at a bar, which, you know, Jews can do that too. But all the things before that are uh, very Gentile. Yeah. Well, uh, this is something I've discovered that Orthodox Jews from New York aren't aware of. But, like, one of the principal stereotypes of American Jews is that they do not consume any alcohol at all. Oh, okay. Like, but because Orthodox Jews in New York tend to, and also because they live in their own bubbles where they all know that they tend to, so they're not even like aware. Like Ira Glass, I remember mentioning this in passing on an episode of This American Life once. It's the episode starts by saying, "I grew up as a, I grew up Jewish in America, which means I never saw alcohol in my life until I went to my Gentile neighbor's friend, my Gentile friend's house once when I was eleven and saw beer in the fridge, and I couldn't believe they had alcohol." Like he he said, and like this is like such a known thing. And I remember, I even though I'm Orthodox, I was aware of that stereotype. And I mentioned it casually to my roommate my first like day of my first semester of law school, who was from deep in Brooklyn, much like uh, Larry David, but it was very, very orthodox. And he's like, no, Jews drink more than anybody. Like, that's a known thing. I'm like, no, it's literally the opposite. Um, well, but, but um, I mean, but it's, he's right in that many Jews do drink a lot. So it's the, Yeah, they, but orthodox Jews. 
That's what I'm saying. Like my, my, my in-laws, by the way, who are not Orthodox, same thing. They never have any alcohol in their house. And oh, this is actually a ridiculous story. So we were at a barbecue at their house once. They barbecue all the time. And I said, like, well, can we have beer? It's a barbecue. And they looked at me like I asked them if I could bring like strippers. <laughs> but they're like, I mean, I guess if you want. So I brought a six pack of beer. Wait, so I, like, you I said went, you can bring strippers too? Yeah. So I went and bought it myself and I brought it there. And some guy who's like married to my wife's um, ex um, aunt, like it's like she was married to his to her uncle, but then got divorced. And now she's married to this other guy. He comes up to me at, at this barbecue and he, he's making small talk and he says, oh, I see you're getting drunk again. And I'm like, drunk again. When was I getting drunk the first time? Like, I've never seen you. I've seen you, like, at my wedding, and that's it. And he's like, well, at your wedding, you were pretty drunk. And at my wedding, I drank nothing because, I don't know, it was my own wedding, and I was too nervous. And I said to him, I said, well, I didn't drink anything at my wedding. And he's like, well, you looked really happy, so you must have been drunk. And I thought that was the weirdest statement. If you, well, if you see mean, someone how, happy at their own wedding, they must be drunk. How else would you be? Why else would you yeah. be happy? <laughs> I guess he's projecting a little bit. I don't know. I thought that was a very odd comment. Yeah, so what's really weird about this whole thing, and like we see it especially in like the next couple scenes where you know the the gray scene before dinner, and he's in church. It's like, it's like they're they're pretending that like Larry has never interacted with Gentiles before, mm-hmm. even though he's yeah. married to like what's yeah. clearly a woman from a very Christian religious family. Like, yeah. he should be used to all, all of these things. Like, like he's learning how to cross for the first time. Like that makes no sense. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He's just he's really excited. Like he, uh, I love how quick he is to say mom and pop. Um. I was surprised when she says when when Mrs. Cohn says nose, toes, watch and wallet. I thought that was like a vague like did you hear as a kid spectacles, testicles, watch and wallet? Um, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so we used to say that and I thought that was sort of a vaguely anti Christian joke that Jewish people made. I didn't realize like oh no, everybody says like the watch and wallet thing. Yeah, I don't I don't I never uh-huh. uh, unpacked it. But yeah, I've I've heard also of it. I gotta say I'm not a big fisher, but I didn't know that you need to beat the shit out of the fish with a baseball bat. <laughs> Um, I didn't know that either because I, as you can imagine, I'm not a big fisher. Uh, yeah. I've never seen fishermen uh, taking baseball bats out on the boat. But uh, Yeah, maybe they use like the oar normally in the rowboat. <laughs> For the massive beating that they have to apply to these fish. <laughs> Gotta beat the shit out of that fish. <laughs> maybe that's why people like the sport so much. Yeah, so um, we're in the church, and as everyone's singing, and the the priest gets up and gives a sermon about the bond of friendship, and you know how much are we giving to our friends who are in need? And Larry has an epiphany, and he uh, hugs his parents and tells them he has to go and heads back home. And hmm. we're we're back on the flight again. And uh, well, hold on, so I have a question in church. Yeah. Um, th- that scene where they sing "Go Tell It on the Mountain," like they sing the entire song, and they have just shots of extra of every extra singing over and over and over. That was sort of strange, wasn't it? It seemed like they're trying to stretch it out for some reason. Yeah. Um, and this episode is a, is is extra long. Like, it's 12 minutes yeah, longer like than a... usual. And there's, yeah. like, several, like, montages and extra scenes. So, like, it's a little unclear Well, that was to me. clearly... Well, th- those are clearly because they thought it was a finale. That's why they do the montages of everything that's happened previously. Right, but not just that. Just, like, there was, there was like, more or less, like downtime of like different montages here and there like the uh, i wanted know. to discuss comparing this to the seinfeld finale but i guess we can wait till the end of the episode to do that yeah let's wait till we get there um yeah so uh yes yeah, so we uh, as you mentioned before you know we have them back on the flight back home and it's of course the same flight attendant and she's like oh of course i'll move you and he's like nah i'm good now um which again i, I don't really understand what uh what is different now because now he's adopted a whole serene and calm and caring. Now he cares about others. Yeah, he's going to give I his guess. kidney to Richard. He's going to you know, assist all the others in case of an emergency. 
he's a Christian now. He, uh, <laughs> you know, Larry stereotypes that Christians are good people and Jews are bad people, basically. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Um, so yeah, so we're back at. Uh, he runs over to Richard. The first thing he does, he goes and gives sees Richard, gives him a hug, and tells him, "All right, man, I love you. I'm going to give you the kidney." Mm. Um, and he uh, he spots a putter that uh, I guess he had used before and that he really likes, and he asks Richard if he could borrow it for even one day. Yeah. Um, and Richard says no. Um, you know, I'd really rather uh, keep it for myself. And Larry's like about to like play the trump card of, uh, you know, I'm giving you my kidney over here. But, you know, he thinks better of it and says, I understand. And Richard's actually pretty surprised that Larry just uh, let things lie. So, yeah. And I need listeners to tell me, like, even if you're a good Christian, uh, I think you're allowed to be pissed at Richard here. Right. It's like, hey, can I you you'll have, you can have my kidney. Can I borrow your golf stick for <laughs> two hours? Yeah. No, no, it's that's a, it's a very special golf club. Yeah. By the way, back at Richard's house, they do have those big wooden mezuzahs in every room again. Like I pointed out uh, last time. Yeah, so maybe it's a Richard thing. Hmm. Yeah, Larry. By the way, um, he still has not spoken to his wife Cheryl uh, the entire time he was in Arizona, or now that he's back in LA, hasn't seen her yet, hasn't spoken to her at all. Yeah, right. Well, first you have to go see Richard, tell him I'm giving yeah. you the kidney. Then he comes home and. Uh, but you could have you could have not made a phone call. Like, hey, I've had a life changing thing. A part of which is I'm now thoughtful about others. Well, others, his wife might want to hear about this. You know. Well, she's on a need-to-know basis. Yeah, I guess so. She says he's busy with the Sopranos DVD. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he sees her, and he kisses her, tells her he loves her, and he's decided that he really wants to have children now. Um, mm. And she's like she very confused. Response. She doesn't know why he's acting like, so oh, weird. That's, that's a conversation. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have a conversation about that. Um, yeah. You know, why don't you get out of this very weird outfit that you're in first <laughs> with a tie? Uh, yeah. By the way, so here here's an interesting thing because like through five seasons of the show. It always seems like Cheryl is annoyed and disappointed and frustrated with Larry and is trying to change Larry, including changing Larry to be more like, you know, her, her family sort of. But now Larry's become a good Christian and all of a sudden she's very annoyed and disappointed. So like like Larry is apparently who she really wants. Like she wants somebody who's not like where she comes from, because as you said, like, you know, they're acting like Larry has no familiarity. But basically Cheryl comes from a his like a, a, a very stereotypically uh, Christian family also. Yeah, well, you know, it, I, you know, I guess. um that's life. How life goes. Sometimes, you know, you you want what you want until you have it, and then that's the last thing in the world you want. Yeah. And then Cheryl realizes, oh yeah, what I actually wanted was a was a Jew, uh, pushy, a, 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 ner- a nerdy old Jewish uh, comedy writer. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the old part. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, Cheryl's behavior later in this episode. <laughs> um, so we're uh, it's the day of the procedure, and we're in the hospital, and uh, we're getting ready, and it's uh, Daryl from the office is uh, yeah. Larry's nurse, and he's like really. So like, I very- looked it up. Because Craig Robinson is like a huge name, but I checked this was just before he became famous. And he actually became famous from The Office, which I didn't realize that Daryl was his first like big scene. Yeah, that's what I think of it before, yeah. Yeah. Hot tub um, time machine. <laughs> yeah, I would still say The Office is his biggest role. Like, mm, I don't think yeah. he's done anything since then that is more but he wasn't. Notoriety. But he wasn't the primary. He was such like a tertiary role in that show. Yeah, but even so, you know, it was such a hot yeah. watch show. And yeah. uh, he, you know, he became a pretty regular by the end. Um, yeah. So yeah, so he's uh, he's very effusive, effusive in his praise for Larry. Um, you know, telling you know the person who did this for you, they're going to be forever indebted for to you. They're going to be basically like your slave. And Larry's like, yeah, I'm not so sure because you know I, I asked him if I could borrow his putter for 20 minutes, and he said no. And Daryl's like, wow, that's really fucked up. Yeah. Um, and they're uh, wheeling them in side by side into the room. Wait, hold on. And, and, and Craig says, you know, Craig's surprised that. Uh, that Larry's so calm. And Larry's like, well, I have faith in God that God will watch over me. And Craig says, he didn't watch over the last guy. 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and uh, Richard saying, you know, this is the greatest thing anyone has ever done for me, and there's nothing I won't do for you. And uh, Daryl chimes in, well, except, of course, for the putter. <laughs> and uh, Richard's very upset that uh, that Larry's talking about this. Why are you telling him about it? Uh, of co- now, at the last minute, Omar comes running in, and he's like, Larry, I made a mistake. The cones are not your parents, and you're not adopted. Which this like, is the first normal all, way to convey this information. Yeah, first of all, like, what the hell are you doing? Second of all, like, I, I, I'm disappointed like, that they didn't, like, give, like, any sort of explanation for, like, how such a humongous screw-up can happen. Like, oh, sorry, turns out, no, yeah. that was completely none, wrong. None of that is accurate, yeah. Right, like, it's not like, oh, we confused it with this other thing. Like, yeah. Just no, Forget oh, everything right. I told you. Right. Yeah. Everything's <laughs> yeah. back to normal. Ignore, right, back to normal. Your parents, you thought your parents your whole life, they're still your parents. Yeah. You weren't adopted. Cones. Like, I would assume he had more than one piece of uh, information here. Right, and also it's like he goes and meets the cones who seem to know who Larry's parents are. So it's like, what what the hell is happening here? Yeah, very, very odd. Um, and then in, what's the strangest is that a we see a man who's being wheeled towards surgery who starts screaming, stop, stop, I don't want to go. And nobody seems to care. I don't think that's what would happen in real life. I don't think he would be like, <laughs> they would like forcibly do surgery on him as he's screaming no. Well, has he been sedated yet? Because maybe they think it's just a reaction to drugs. I don't know. That seems like a pretty big uh, risk to take and liability for a hospital to start operating on a patient whose last thing was yelling no, no. <laughs> You're like, saying that, that would be useful evidence uh, for the for the malpractice attorney. Yeah, I mean, it's like especially the situation where it's like he's yeah. not in any medical danger. Like yeah. he's giving away a kidney and it's possible that at the last second he's having a change of heart and doesn't want to give away his kidney. Um, yeah. But no. And uh, somehow we, we we go ahead two months. Yeah. Larry waits over two months and until he's dying to. Uh, yeah. We do see Richard having the time of his life. He uh, he did not hang around anymore to uh, look. So, over but his what's the Larry. timeline here? Larry was like in a, basically in a coma or in whatever coma for two for, months for two months. And yeah. then he wakes up for 10 minutes and then dies. Well, I don't think he was literally in a coma. I think Larry's been in a slowly getting worse and worse state for two months. He's basically been in the hospital the whole time. He's never left. Oh, okay. Like so we're not supposed to understand. We're not supposed to. So this, so this is not the first time that he's waking up since the procedure. No. Well, that's why it's so weird. Yeah, he waited over two months and until he's dying to call out Jeff on lowballing him on the well, car. He could have mentioned that at any point in the last two months. Well, that's why I think this is not this whole situation is doesn't really make a lot of sense because I think the way that scene plays, I think we're supposed to understand like this is like the first time he's waking up and like the first thing that he's thinking of is like Jeff screwed me on the car. Oh, I don't think he literally was not awake that whole time. I think if he was not awake that whole time, they'd have to at least make some reference to the... He'd say, oh, the coma didn't work for me the way it did for Lewis Lewis. Like, they'd make some reference there. Right, I guess. Yeah, the whole the whole what, scene is very strange because I, I do think it's like the way he relates... The joke to Jeff is like, it doesn't make sense unless it's like, that's what's on his mind is like, is getting lowballed on the car. Whatever. I don't know. The, the whole... I think the whole, the whole framing of the scene... Um, didn't make a whole lot of sense, but you know it's still a funny scene. So uh, yeah, first you know as you mentioned, we see a uh, first Richard uh, having some fun in the sun, and then Larry wakes up. He sees Jeff. He talks about the car. The doctor is like, "No, this guy doesn't look good. I don't think he has got much to go." Um, the rabbi comes in, and Larry's like, "You know, Rabbi, I thought you know my I had a shot because only the good die young." Um, and the rabbi is like, "Well, it seems that God is making an exception." Yeah. Larry calls him a bad person on his deathbed. Great job, Rabbi. Yeah. Um, although, it's like, I wouldn't say that like Larry is young, per se. 
Yeah. Well, everybody who's younger than you is young. I suppose. Um, he wants to know, you know, Larry, we want to make sure you have uh, your house in order. Is there anyone that you would possibly want to seek forgiveness from? And we get a phenomenal montage. This lasts, yeah. I don't know, good three, four minutes even, maybe. It, it's, yeah. it was very long. But basically, like, all of Larry's horrible deeds over the years, uh, you know, starting from... Only the last five years, not the rest of his life, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah, we don't have those on tape. Um, <laughs> starting with, you know, him going into uh, the house without shoes on, the beloved aunt message, all the different times he's been accused of racism. Um, all the By the way, physical... it's, it's an interesting uh, clip show, I think, because it shows all the people insulting Larry, in, but like, Larry, in many of these, actually did nothing wrong, and it was just like a miscommunication or a misunderstanding. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's portrayed as if this is all Larry's fault, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, he, yeah, you know, he, he kind of want, then wants to have his last words with everybody. He pulls, his, it pulls Jeff over, tells him, you know, you put too much mayo on. The tuna already has mayo. You don't need to also put tuna on the bread. And uh, Jeff agrees he'll put on less mayo going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you really shouldn't have let me do that Seinfeld TV guide cover. I looked like a real asshole. Yeah, I looked that up, by the way. Yeah, what's the story with that? Um, if I actually, I think I WhatsApped a picture of it to you. Oh no, I may have sent it to someone else that uh, I'd save it for you for the podcast. But it's it's just a picture of Larry standing in between the core four, um, and he looks like a little bit awkward. Like it's not the best picture of him, but it's it, the implication is I shouldn't have been on the cover at all. And like that's I don't know. So it doesn't really make sense to me. <laughs> right, I think well, it's just the thing that they use. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, if it's a thing Larry was actually upset about in real life, it was a weird choice. Yeah, it probably was. It was it as uh, egregious as when uh, Kamala Harris was had the wrong outfit on Vogue. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, by the way, story. so let's uh, my I want to sort of describe what happened to me as I was watching at this point because I I would guess maybe that happened to a lot of people, especially watching it the first time in real time. I didn't realize that it was going to be a longer than usual episode necessarily. And it was during the clip show, which, as you said, is very long. It's like a couple of minutes, three minutes long or whatever. It was so long I was enjoying it. But that's what suddenly made me look at, like, the timer, the clock on the episode. And I realized, oh, this is an extra long episode. And, like, that's when all of a sudden it dawned upon me, oh, this is really gearing up to be a series finale. Like, you don't have a clip show like that on a, se- on a season finale in any show. Right, especially one that's, like, going back to, like, across seasons. It's like this— Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just the season five. Yeah, it's all the previous seasons. And also, by the way, we know this is—Larry came back to Seinfeld famously after being gone for a couple of seasons to do the finale, and that's what the finale of Seinfeld was. It was right. a whole bunch of clips also. Yeah. And so he, he's doing the same thing here. But I think he does a better job here than Seinfeld. Um, yeah, I mean, the Seinfeld finale is very bad. <laughs> and I, I, By the way, I don't, I don't t- accept that take either. I mean, I know that's, like, the, the conventional wisdom. But I don't mind the Seinfeld finale so much. Yeah, I think it's really bad. I liked, I, I, I initially liked it, um, but the more I've watched it, it's just I think it's a bad finale, and it's a also it's just a, also a particularly just like bad, unfunny episode of Seinfeld. That's my um, take. Yeah, uh, I have it. Where do I have it ranked? I have it ranked at one thirty three. So I don't love it, but it's not you know. Where do I have Akiva it ranked? Akiva has it ranked at twenty nine. You have it ranked at one sixty. Yeah, you really hate it. Yeah, I think it's a really bad episode. Like, there's like yeah. just so many bad, like, so many cheesy lines in it. Like, the whole storyline obviously makes no sense. Although, whatever, fine. Um, and yeah, it's just like it's so. The trial is okay. Like the way that they bring people in, like that was a clever concept. But I don't know. It's just it, it's not funny, and it you know. That, right. That's Same the main thing takes for, me. for our Seinfeld podcast. Yeah, that's the main thing is that it's just not a funny episode. Hmm. Yeah. 
So that's and that's why I think this is better because this does the same thing of reminding you of all the stuff that happened in the last five seasons, but it's much funnier. Yeah, but it also like it does it in like a three minute clip, so like it's not really yeah it's making not, yeah, they're the, not bringing it's not them making back the, the whole episode time. about that. Yeah, I mean Seinfeld, yeah. there's probably they spend half an hour of the episode probably yeah. at the trial. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, also this isn't really a, a serious finale, so. But 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 again, but I think it was designed to be. Uh, it certainly may have been. Who the hell even knows? Yeah, these are the types of things we probably should have researched, but we didn't. No, I mean, I, I, it clearly was. Like it was. Like they bring. You you think that that's not clear? I it seems to me like it was, but who the hell knows? I mean, what Larry well, had Larry, in his head Larry, at the time. Well, yeah, I mean that's the thing. There's nothing formal, but I think the assumption, like the assumption that everybody had at that point, is oh, the show's over. Yes, it definitely feels. Like, I mean, they're, they they kill he off had the main character. He had to take it like now. Advantage. Later, he'll take five years between seasons, right? And so he hadn't yet done that. It had been every year, right? Okay. And so yeah. this, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, know. everything you're saying but, makes sense. I agree. Yeah, with you. but but I think you're right. N- now we're so you. It's almost like Brett Favre retirement. It's like the first time Brett Favre retired, people didn't think he was going to come back. <laughs> right, but then by the time he's done it three times, you're like, well, obviously, yeah. So Larry will have another season eventually because Did he comes back. A th- he came back a third time. Well, he came back to the Packers twice. Then he came back the time he went to the Jets. Then the next year with the Vikings wasn't a comeback. Everybody assumed he'd go there. But then the last season on the Vikings was a comeback where he had to be convinced again to come out of retirement. Uh, okay. He came back like five times total, <laughs> almost every year basically. People had, where he said he was retiring and then he didn't retire. I think 2004 was the first one even. 2004. That's very early. Yeah, well, that, that's the point. He did it in Green Bay. Very, and when did very, he retire at the end? Oh, no, no, because they drafted Rodgers in 2005, right? I don't remember. When did he end in retire? He retired in 2010 in the end. Okay, yeah. So that's a long time so, to be flirting with retirement. Yeah. Well, right, maybe, I, was, uh, maybe I should retire. <laughs> after, all that, well, after all that GameStop money. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, the, the, his dad comes over and he uh, talks to him about the adoption. And his dad keeps hearing him say "doctor" again, so that goes yeah. nowhere. Uh, Susie wants to maybe say something, but Larry's, <laughs> Larry's like, "Wait, that's yeah. so great!" That yeah. rejection. That was my favorite moment of the episode. Yeah. He's just like, mm, so good. "No." Nope, yeah. um, he asks Cheryl, "You know, would it be okay if I fool around a little bit in the afterlife until you get there?" And also, just, you know, just for. Just so you know, I know that you were the one who messed up the DVD because I have a hall system. And as he's going on about this, he uh, the heartbeat monitor starts beeping and he slowly passes away. And we see his spirit float up above the room and is able he's able to watch everybody a few seconds. And we see that the first thing that Cheryl does is ask the lawyer about the will. Insane. <laughs> she doesn't even bother to pretend to be sad that her husband has just died. Right. And, and also, like, in a room filled with people. Like, I mean, she is ready to move on. She looks good here, by the way. Yeah. Well, you know, I might also ask about the will, given the amount of money. But... Well, here, the funny thing is, I'm looking at my notes, and I say, um, in the previous scene when she's talking to Larry, I say, Cheryl looks amazing here. She's ready to move on. And then, as soon as Larry dies, I say, Cheryl's acting is absolutely atrocious. She doesn't bother to pretend to be sad that her husband has died. And then I say, oh, oh, oh my goodness. I wrote that before she turned to the accountant and started asking about money within moments of her <laughs> husband's death. Like, she was bad even before that. Yeah. Um, and then she starts fighting with uh, Susie and Jeff about the $5,000. It's like, it's not enough that she's just uh, yeah. locking down the $500 million in the will. Although Larry would appreciate this part. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, he's uh, he heads up to heaven. And uh, he's now he's really living his best self because he's, his hair is back. His glasses are gone. 
and he's be, he's greeted by his two guides, uh, played by none other than Dustin Hoffman, uh, who we uh, heard mentioned all the way back in season one, episode one, The Pants Tent, when Larry was going to see a Dustin Hoffman movie. And Ooh. his other guide is, uh, of course, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Post Ali G show. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah. Okay, what do you think of the uh, special effects, if that's what we're going to call it, is of Larry going to heaven? Uh, I think it's pretty good for what it is. Yeah. It's very uncurb like, though. Yeah. No, I like it. I think, that, you know, it's, you know, it's not as good as like what they do in like Soul, the Pixar movie, but. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what do you think of Larry's hair in heaven? I think, I think he looks good. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think he looks good here. I think he looked good in the Scorsese movie. I thought George looked great in the toupee in Seinfeld. I, I love all of them in there with their hair. Yeah, so I don't know saying, why they quit it. So you're saying all bald people should get toupees? No, I, absolutely not. I have some bald friends who are very attractive bald, and okay. some bald friends who probably are could use it. But in, right. in those so two some, cases, in the, so some bald people should get toupees. Well, Larry David and Jason Alexander both, I think, look great with their toupees. Yeah, well, that makes sense. They're the same person. Yeah. Um, uh, so the by way, like, his mom also is played by B. Arthur. Did we mention that? Well, we didn't see her. She's yet. Inc- yeah, okay. Um, yeah, we uh they say, you know, we have you have a lot of uh fans up here in heaven, including, you know, you may, may know the explorer Ponce de Leon. And Larry's like, "Yes, of course. I wrote a screenplay a about favorite. him." Yeah. Yes, yeah, a Seinfeld movie. Um apparently uh I looked up Elaine hated it, George loved it. Yeah. Well, of course, cuz George wrote it. Right, fair. Um Marilyn Monroe is there, also a big mm. fan of Seinfeld's. Um, we do know that she liked uh, nerdy uh, writers who were Jewish. Uh, yes. She'd be even willing to convert for them. Yeah. Was it Arthur Miller? Yeah. She yeah. became did a Jew you, for him. Did you see uh, Devs? No. There's a scene with uh, that involves Marilyn, Mon- uh, Marilyn Monroe and Arthur Miller uh, sex tape, if you will, in Devs. Mm. Um, this Marilyn Monroe, by the way, I looked it up, is played by, we don't see her until later in the episode, but she's played by some actress named Susan Griffiths, and basically every one of her credits is Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. So she's, That's she's a very, but she, she's a very successful Marilyn Monroe impersonator, because I imagine 99% of Marilyn Monroe impersonators are doing parties, or maybe working in like some like place in Vegas or something. She's yeah. getting on TV shows. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, of course, in the, the third person you meet in heaven is your mother. And oh, of course, yeah. she's there to call him a schmuck, oh, tell, him that he's an, tell him that he's an idiot for giving away his kidney. Yeah. Um, he wants to know, like, why, why did you tell dad not to tell me I missed your funeral when you died? And she's like, ah, don't worry about that. That doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, why were you so happy to be adopted? And he's like, I wasn't happy. She's like, you were practically giddy. And she's hmm. right. She was watching him. Uh, yeah. Ben Hogan is there. He's been watching Larry play golf, and you know he's the moving... Gary player of heaven, basically. <laughs> yeah, you're, you've been moving your feet wrong, and why do you yeah. come? You know, you we'll play together, and I'll give you some pointers. Mm, yeah. um, Larry wants Let, to know. Larry tells Ben Hogan that he's pretty good, but only one pretty for Ben Hogan. <laughs> only one, one Hogan. Yeah, uh, only one for Hogan. Um, Larry. Let wants me ask to know... you a question. Um, everyone in heaven does nothing all day but watch Larry David. <laughs> That's what it seems like. Everyone's very focused on this one. Yeah, person. there must be a multiplicity, like. You know, I can imagine a scenario where, like, you you die and you go to heaven and then you have to, like, review your own life and you have to do it, like, in front of the angels or in front of God who are critiquing, like, okay, now what are you thinking there? Let's pause the tape and discuss. Yeah. But it's weird that every other real-life person is also watching you. This is a very narcissistic version of heaven. Yes. Yeah, heaven is a um, – what uh, – we're the same age, obviously. When you think of B. Arthur or C. B. Arthur, what do you think of? Golden Girls. Okay, did you watch Golden Girls? A little bit here and there. 
Okay, because I I think I think it was like a little before our time. Uh yeah, it was on like in the eighties. Um, but yeah, I you know I would see like reruns of it. On, like it would be like on like at eleven o'clock at night sometimes. Like mm. that's you know the slot that would eventually become the Seinfeld slot. I feel like yeah. Golden, Golden Girls was on in syndication a lot when I was young, and I didn't have cable, so it's like whatever was on like those five channels was all yeah. I would watch. Yeah, neither did I. Same thing, and that's that's where we'd see like Full House or whatever. But um, I don't know. Like I think I think the first time I was cognizant of B. Arthur was uh, like the Jeff Ross line in like the in the in the Jerry Stiller roast, the famous line he said. I don't remember that specific one. Oh, he it's it's like a I very, assume like, it has something infamous. to do with her genitals or something. Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't <laughs> fuck Sandra Bernhardt with B. Arthur's dick. <laughs> okay. Jeff Jeff Ross is like a really young comedian, and like he comes on the stage with this is like a like a Friars Club roast of Jerry Stiller, and everybody's like Jerry Stiller's age, and Jeff Ross is like this young like nobody, and he comes up and says that, and like brings the house down basically. So Got like it. that's what I knew about B. Arthur that uh, she uh, had a penis in a joke by by uh, by the uh, roastmaster general, and and then later like I I still I would guess I've never seen a full episode of Golden Girls. Oh no, I've seen a, I've seen a bunch. Like Betty White also, like when she became insanely famous when she was 92, I was like, oh, yeah, she's from like a show. But like nobody our age ever like actually saw her or anything. We just like her because she's old and cute, basically. Right. But she was also in the Golden Girls. Yeah. No, I know that. But I'm saying, but we, you know, anyways. All right. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think people watch the Golden Girls. Out on the Golden Girls. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like it wasn't like my favorite show, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's not bad. Like it was pretty funny. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. And it, and it was on a lot. Yeah. She was also on uh, Hot in Cleveland. Yeah, but that was much later. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That I was like that. That well, that was like when I met um, uh, what's his name, Ritter, and I said to him, "Oh, you're the guy from Eight Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter." Yeah, and then he died when he was on that show. He d- he died literally one week after meeting me. Oh, uh, well. our mutual former friend Danny Groner used to accuse me of having murdered John Ritter. Well, why did you murder John Ritter? Well, what happened is, is I, I, his, his daughter was at the same college as me at the time, and it was like a Friday morning, and I went to the bookstore to buy a sweatshirt, and I was like, look, I was literally holding the sweatshirt, and John Ritter walks in, and he's standing right next to me, and he says, oh, can I have that same sweatshirt that he just bought? And the woman working at the store says, um, oh, he literally took the last one in that size. And Ritter turns to me and he says, I don't remember anymore exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of, it's just my luck that everywhere I go, like the person right before me is like the same size or some, he makes some like sort of joke. And then I look at him I'm like, oh, you're the guy from Eight Rules for Dating My Teenage Daughter, which was like a show on at the time that isn't that also where Kelly Cuoco is from? Oh, was she on it? I know uh, Katie Seagal was his wife on it. Yeah, yeah. But she was obviously famous for Married with Children already. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I-, I saw that show religiously because it had been on the air the previous year when I was in YU when I was watching everything on the network. Ah. So it's like, you know, here's this guy who's like insanely famous from Three's Company. And I'm like, oh, I know you from like your most recent uh, show. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Kay- yeah, Kaylee Cuoco was the daughter. Yeah. I watched that show very religiously. Uh, and that's what I knew him from. So, yeah, much like uh, Betty White with Hot in Cleveland. Yeah. So anyway, so that was on Friday. And then the following Friday, I think literally I think is the following Friday he died. Like very young and like like tragically like it was like a heart attack or something I don't know I don't and, remember uh, very sad and, yeah and, and Danny Groner excuse me he said uh, he was so heartbroken by the lack of a sweatshirt and then he told other people that without the kind he say oh my friend uh, he killed John Ritter he uh, he also plays uh, JD's father in Scrubs and he also dies of that so his uh, his thing is that he dies it's weird he's not that much like what's the difference in age John Ritter is yeah was so he's born, born in forty eight. And who are you comparing him to? 
comparing him to his son in Scrubs. When is Zach Braff born? Zach Braff was born in 1975, so he's... Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, that could work. Okay, yeah, that that's exactly right. Yeah. 27 years older. Yeah, it's a normal time. All right. Um, so, yeah. So, um, he wants to know how dating works, you know, what, what, can he, what goes on here, how does it go to the bathroom work, mm. um, and he wants and to... And when he's he, told that you don't go to the bathroom, he says, pretty good, pretty good. <laughs> so, he gives it two pretties. Two pretties. But well, pretty good, pretty good. So I don't think it counts. Right. It's not a pretty, pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, pretty but no, good. it's still it's still twice as pretty good as um as the, the golfing. By, it's two separate uh, single. Ben Hogan. It's yeah. two single. But ben Hogan separate. remember, Ben Hogan's golfing got one pretty good. Right. Yeah. So we so we've had three three single pretties. Yeah. But two given yeah. to the same thing. Yeah. Um yeah, and he uh most importantly he wants to know about what so what really happened with the D V D and, oh, you, you know, what really happened is you left it behind the couch and, you know, you think you have a system, but you don't really have a system because a real system oh involves using extra DVD jackets. Um, it's just Who's to be extra careful. Here? I don't even know what Dustin Hoffman is talking about here. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't even understand this psychotic thing with the DVD jackets. What Lowry does <laughs> is, is, should, is more than useful and should work. Yeah. Uh, um, by the way, did you notice the columns in heaven are all broken and falling over? Like heaven is broken down. Well, because you know he's on his way out, um, and Wait, they decide who's he? God. No, Larry. No, but heaven, like the whole time, there's like broken columns. Over. It looks like it looks like modern version of what Greece looked like. Yeah, um, yeah. So they probably came from a set that they used. Uh, yeah, it is great though. How yeah, Dustin Hoffman, his guide, has been watching him his whole life, but apparently does not know who Larry is. Like he's suddenly surprised that he's an argumentative asshole. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so they decide, you know what, you're not ready. He's like, what? Because no, of the DVD. Yeah, they, 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 exactly. They changed their perspective on him based on one five-minute conversation. How is that possible? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're sending you back. And Marilyn Monroe is very, uh, very sad mm. to see him go, but alas. And we're back in the hospital. And the heart monitor starts beeping up again. And he wakes up. And the first thing he does is touch his own bald head and sigh sadly. Yeah. Of... Um, if, if if your version of heaven was like Larry's, what celebrity who has passed on to their side would you be most excited to discover was an Obstinetsky fan? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. Now you sprung me with this uh, dilemma. <laughs> mm. Okay, well, it's one to think about. Listeners, let us know. Yeah, do you have anyone? Did you, since you thought of the I'm, question, you must no, have thought of I'm, an answer. No, I'm the I'm the interviewer here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really. You know what? I'm not like into having fans. <laughs> like, it's funny because no, because I was just, I was talking to my daughter about this tonight because she's like she's like in this phase where she like wants to be like on YouTube and like oh, be, yeah. be, being like, famous is very important famous. at the age of like seven or eight. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, why do you want to be famous? She's just like, so that everyone will know who I am. I'm like, so that what? Why? And like, she couldn't even like articulate why being yeah. famous would be good. And I was like, it's not good. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be famous. I don't want like some person in heaven to be my fan. Like, yeah. I mean, if you can monetize it. Oh, um, sure. Yes. No, I like yeah. money. Money would be great. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't want just fame. Yeah. And I'd much rather have money without fame than fame without money. It's like, well, I, well, fame without money is the worst possible scenario. Well, I mean, like, then for, you're like, not for, mo- not for everybody. You're Monica Lewinsky. Some people well, would I rather think, fame. Well, I think because they just assume that they can monetize the fame. Right, I don't know. Like I Karda- people- for every Kardashian who does, there's somebody who's you know some YouTube joke, and then everybody forgets about them, yeah, and they're humiliated. I, I think, and like when a- you Google them to hire them for a job, the first thing you see is some dumb thing that they said once. Yeah, I think for a lot of people though, it's just like they just want somebody to pay attention to them and like care about them. 
without even more, it being a, a means to an end. Yeah, I don't think for a lot of people, fame is a means to an end. I think it's the ends in itself. I guess, yeah, that'd be the, you'd have to ask somebody. if You could become famous, but you are guaranteed to have no financial benefit whatsoever. Yeah, well, my daughter was, would say yes, because she just wants to be famous. Yeah. But again, uh, practically speaking, it's impossible, because the way our society works to, to today, if you are famous, somebody will pay you for something. I mean, they pay <laughs> right. you to post. They, they, you get sponsored right. tweets for nothing else. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So your daughter wants to be an influencer. <laughs> as, not, a, as, a, not... as a parent, would you rather your daughter be a stripper or an influencer? <laughs> I think I'd rather be an influencer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't be proud of either, but yeah. <laughs> the um, last podcast I did with another father, he uh, he said that his son wasn't funny, and it, it deeply upset Allie. Oh no! Yeah. All right. Um, so Larry's alive, unfortunately for him. Uh, he's alive. He's ready to go home. Um, but first, he needs to make sure that he has his sex clearance so he can get back oh. to having the sex. Um, and, you know, he says, you know, I'm really a changed man now. And uh, Daryl comes to wheel him out as a last courtesy, and they stop off to use the bathroom. Now, why and... does he want to be in a wheelchair? I mean, he has to for, like, the, the scene at the end of the I episode. guess he'll take the ride. Like, I've, I've said this, you know, like, um, so, you know, a lot of people, like, they get, like, they're, like, very proud. Like, they don't want to be in a wheelchair. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be proud. If anyone, well, like... It, if oh, anyone wants the context, to, if you need to be in a wheelchair, that's very different than if you don't need to be in a wheelchair. You're going to be walking instantly in a second easily. If somebody but because wants of the technicality, to, they're offering it to you. If somebody wants to wheel me somewhere, I'll take a ride. It, so today, if if you and I like, if if Corona's over, if you and, want to come to my house on Saturday mornings and say yeah. I'm going to wheel you to shul, I'll take the ride. Really? Okay. And even if it's in, like in public, a bunch of a bunch of strangers, like like we go to Vegas and they have like a wheelchair. At like the at the check-in for like older people, like they have you know a lot of people in those mobile chairs in in um, casinos, and they offer you one, you'll take it. I mean, I might, yeah. Hmm. I, I, I would like, be way too embarrassed. Yeah, I don't like walking. Yeah, <laughs> I I used to take I used to go with my grandmother to Target, and she needed one of those things, and so but but she wasn't sort of with it enough to drive it herself, so I'd have to lo- sort of lean over and be pushing like the gas for her. While she's riding it, which is a much less fun way to use one of those. Yeah, also sounds potentially dangerous. You know, different yeah. controls. Well, I, yeah, it goes like one mile an hour. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it, it's the. Uh, I mean, you the, saw the Ponce episode. You know that. Yeah. Uh, so we stop off at the bathroom, and it's uh, it's a handicap bathroom, but uh oh, somebody's in there, and when they come out, it's a very uh, able-bodied man. And Larry's like, what's going on here? Why, why is he in the bathroom? He's like, oh, well, you know, the other one was used. I had to go quickly, so I just took a second. And uh, calling back to uh, earlier in the season, Larry tells him, well, then you wait. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to an end of season five, episode 10, and season five as a whole. This is and the possibly end. possibly the series. And possibly the series. We don't know. Who knows if we'll be back. Well, how did you rate this possible series finale? Yeah, I mean, so I guess I would also think of it differently, as you said earlier, whether you think of it as a series finale or season finale or just an episode. I guess I'm going to say because it's not a a series finale, I'm just going to grade it as an episode, even if it may have intended to be something else. Um, So I think this is like, you know, a fairly middle of the road. It has its moments. Um, I think the heaven stuff is fun. Um, but I think there's some other misses in there. So I will give it a pretty, pretty, pretty good three pretties out of five, uh, you know, right down the middle. Okay. Um, 
yeah. So what I what I do, what I endeavor when I'm doing my rankings, and both of uh, episodes of Curb, but also like you know basketball players, is I like to grade everyone relative to their era, and so. I like to look at the episode and say how I would have rated it if I was watching it at that time and hadn't yet seen all the episodes to come. And I sort of knew what people thought the first time it aired at the time, uh, which is why, for example, in my Seinfeld rankings, I have the Chinese restaurant pretty low because as an episode, when I watched it, I was like, okay, whatever. That was a fine episode, but you know, it wasn't particularly fun. I didn't really go anywhere. And then historically, it's looked at as like a classic Seinfeld episode. It's a bottle episode that they're in the, that they're in the one location the whole time and nothing happens. And it's so like revolutionary, but like, I'm not going to increase the rating because like when I initially watched it, I didn't enjoy it because of that. That was just sort of, and so for me, this episode works the other way to its benefit. Like I, if, if this episode is the series finale, I think it goes out with a bang. Like, th- this season didn't have the big season-long story arc the previous seasons did with the restaurant and the Broadway show. Yeah. Like, they, you know, they had they had Omar looking into Larry's suspicion that he was adopted, but there's nothing really ever happening there. Every time we see Omar, he's like, okay, uh, you know, I'm working on it. Um, you know, and then there's Richard Lewis having a kidney transplant, but that's not Larry. You know, it's like – so, like, there's very little interest or drama in, in like, a season-long arc coming into the finale, but – they make up for it. Like, they give us all the story we didn't get all season. So, like, in one episode, Larry discovers he's adopted. He goes to meet his birth parents. He discovers he's a Gentile. He adopts a whole new attitude to life. That's all in the first half of one episode. It's, it's almost like what um, Game of Thrones did. Like, he could, they could have had, like, many episodes with each part, with each scene of, like, this episode, I feel like. Yeah, it's very packed. Yeah. And then it also, everything I just said happens, it, which then leads directly to wrapping up the Richard Lewis kidney story. It's, like, loaded with huge names and guest stars and clips. So, like, as a series finale, I would grade this very highly, especially, like, you know, comedy finales are very, very, very high, very, very hard to do, as we talked about, like, Seinfeld. Um, But as an episode of Curb, I'll grade it a little bit lower. And so um, I saw one ranking that has this as the number four episode of all time. Wow. I understand that, though. I I think because if you judge it as, like, what it was trying to do at the time, it did it better than just about any show. And frankly, probably better than Curb's going to end up doing. Like, we know there's another season. So season 10's up. Epi- but, like, think of the other uh, epi- end-of-season episodes that we've seen in the next few years of Curb. None of them do it as well as this, I think. Although, we'll watch those in real time and see what we think. Um, but, um, but, but as you said, the reality is, like, it's, it, like it's, it's not really a regular episode. So it's sort of competing with a juiced bat. So if I'm going to say what I have to compare it to a regular episode, I'm going to lower the score a little bit. So I'll say... Pretty, 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 pretty good. I'll give it three and a half. It's really good. It's a top 20 episode, but I just, I think it's not fair to compare it to other episodes. It got an extra 12 minutes. Like, it, you know, it had a juice bad. It had more to work with. So you got a great yeah. on the curve. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and you know, you definitely make some good points about how it does, it does work really well as a finale. Um, so yeah. like, I guess I probably liked it more on my initial watch than I did on this rewatch. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know. We're grading it now, so it's it's hard to uh, separate that. Yeah. All right. Who is your come with guy or gal? Um, I'm gonna go for a, a duo. I'm gonna go with the guides. Uh, just so fun to have both of them, Dustin Hoffman and Sasha Baron Cohen. Just like a really fun uh, five minutes in heaven with them. Yeah, two people on very opposite ends of their uh, careers, also. Yeah, it's just, and I I do wonder about like how the casting there happened. It's just like a very interesting how many pairing. Jewish comedian, how much, how many like Jewish comics did Larry reach out to before he chose those two? Yeah, were those his first two? Um, I mean, I so you know, you know, Ali G Show has just been like the other huge comedy on HBO the year before. So maybe yeah. Larry's picking like the next guy, and then like the guy who he liked. Yeah, well, I, he probably really liked Dustin Hoffman because he had seen him in sure. Star Wars. Yeah, um, my come with guy, uh, come with is another duo. 
And I thought this is where you were going to go when you said duo. I got all excited. <laughs> you want to guess? Another duo? Yeah. No, go ahead. No, it's Mom and Pop Cone. Oh, Mom and Pop Cone. Okay. Yeah. I forgot Mom about Mom and Pop Cone. Yeah, they, they yeah, they're you were the fun. one who said yeah, they're I, purely yeah. good. They take him everywhere. They immediately accept him. Uh, a little strange, by the way, that everyone in their town knows who they are, but nobody there knew they had a son. I think one person mentioned it. Oh, you have a son? Oh, we do now. But like, everyone else is like, oh, yeah, your son, of course, who you've never mentioned, <laughs> even though we know you so well. Uh, who is your fucking asshole, as we uh, renamed this title? Uh, my fucking asshole is uh, Cheryl. Completely different, indifferent to uh, Larry's uh, impending death, um, his eventual death. Uh, loses the Sopranos DVD. Only cares about the will. Being petty with uh, Susie and Jeff in the room of his death, just minutes after his death. So uh, yeah, Cheryl all around. Hmm. You have never nominated Cheryl. Really? To be the fucking asshole of the week. I've done it four times. Um, so I was surprised. I thought you weren't going to. I thought you were going to go with Larry. Uh, we, we literally see a clip show of all the reasons he's been the worst for five seasons. <laughs> Fair. And, oh, he also doesn't give his wife even the slightest effort of a decent goodbye. So I thought you were going to go with Larry. Um, I was going to counter and say, you know, Larry can't be the worst person when he gave someone a kidney. Uh, by the way, someone who didn't give a shit about him, who didn't lend him a putter, who uh, didn't even stay at his bedside as he lay dying, but went off, you know, with some uh, woman to some uh, beach place. So maybe Richard Lewis is the uh, fucking asshole of the week. But um, no, I, I'm going to agree with that. what you actually said. It has to be Cheryl. Um, she doesn't deserve a real goodbye from her husband. Like, when, she, when he tries to improve himself in life, she's against it. When he dies, as you said, she's immediately focused on the money. So, you know, I ain't saying she's a gold digger, but uh, she is the fucking asshole of the week. Yeah. I mean, arguably could also be uh, Mr. Omar for giving him very bad information. Yeah. I mean, I think it really could be anybody. Like, everybody in this uh, episode is uh, – it's almost – that's another way it's sort of similar to the Seinfeld finale, I guess. Yeah. Lots of uh, villains to go around. Yeah. Um, we have a lot of celebrities to go around. We have uh, B. Arthur, Sasha Baron Cohen, Dustin Hoffman. Um, bef- and they all, by the way, they all play characters. They don't play themselves. So, like, before this episode, the most famous person to play a character, we had said, was Ed Asner. But I think, I would argue that Hoffman, SBC, and B. Arthur all blow Asner out of the water. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Like, Asner's more famous earlier, maybe, but, like, this is post-Ali G show for Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, did, well, let me ask you a question. Did you know Ed Asner from like um, the Mary Tyler Moore show or whatever the hell he was on? I may have, but I mean, I guess you know, I'm you know a different generation, so like I may have recognized him, but like I of course recognized and knew mm. Sasha Baron Cohen and especially Dustin Hoffman. Dustin but Hoffman, Ar- I think, is the most famous. Is B. Arthur closer for you to Ed Asner? Or um, to, uh... she, I think she's closer to Ed to Asner, but still above him. Yeah, yeah. No, I okay. Yeah, I, I generally agree. Um, although I think Ed Asner overall, like historic, like his highs were higher than B. Arthur's. It's just that B's are slightly more recent for us. Yeah, that could be. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I, now, he hadn't really made his movies yet, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. He had made a Ali G into House, which I saw, but he was, so he may not have been a movie star, but he was definitely a comedy star. But yeah, you're right. Dustin Hoffman is clearly the, the most famous person on the show to play. Yeah. I mean, but I think like Borat was going to, was about to come out. Yeah. But so Borat comes out 2006. But Dustin Hoffman's still bigger than Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah, yeah, but he was like Sasha Baron Cohen was like about to explode. So like, if you I were... would argue that Sasha Baron Cohen is less well known than Borat, and well, maybe not Ali G anymore. Certainly at this point, he was less famous than Ali G. But for now, he's certainly less famous than Borat. Yeah, Borat's the most famous for sure. Yeah, and and I even Ali G I think is more famous than Sasha Baron Cohen, although he's really abandoned that character. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, what about... I would say Sasha Baron Cohen's more famous than Bruno. Yeah, Bruno sucks. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think Bruno sucks. I think uh, he, he had a lot of funny uh, things on his show. I was never into Bruno. But, uh, okay. Uh, say hi to Austrian Gay TV. Yeah. Um, all right, so is it time for The Postman? Time for The Postman. Postman! Uh, postman! Uh, come uh, here! here Tell the uh, neighborhood! Uh, first uh, letter is from William Blake, and he says, Hey, Alex and Av, I'm Will, and I have a system. The mm. scenes with Hoffman, Larry, and Sasha Baron Cohen are great, are gold. I like how post-surgery Larry's first mission is to get some sympathy sex. He will never change. I amend last week's email. Larry's shit-eating grin in the last season of this episode is peak Larry. You wait. You wait. Come with Guy, the nurse. He gives Larry a wheelchair and gives him affirmation about the punter. The asshole of the episode is Hoffman's angel. How do you throw a man oh, out of wow. heaven? Mm. He gives it four pretties out of five. They could never... They could have tied up the adoption plot a little bit better. Yeah, I always said the same thing. Like it's mm. just kind of like, oh yes. yeah, sorry, we're wrong. <laughs> um, the next email is from Zach Brooks. He says, "Pretty, pretty, pretty, pretty good finale. The stuff with Christian Larry was gold. The clip show stuff was kind of repetitive. The guy at the end was more out of line than Larry was using the handicap stall. You can't use a handicap stall in a hospital. Way worse than a restaurant or wherever Larry was. Yeah, that's true." Um, yes, yeah, so like in a hospital, there's like bathrooms everywhere. You should be able to find the right bathroom. And, oh, I was right, going to say the opposite. In the hospital, right. I feel like you're not like it always says you're not allowed to use the 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 bathroom in the room. It's only for the patient themselves. Right. But like obviously, like when your wife had a baby, you ignore that. You went in the in, like, yeah. that's your room. No, yeah. but in a hospital, there's yeah. much more likely to be somebody who needs a handicap bathroom. Oh no, no, for sure, no, no. It's for sure. Yeah, it's much worse to do it there. 100. Yeah. percent yeah, so he gives it a 3.5 pretties. Very well. Could have worked out as a series finale, except a lot of series regulars were missing. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that's who true. Mi- who are we missing? Funkman's not a regular yet. We yeah. don't have Danson, but he sort of comes and goes. Who are we missing? Yeah. Um, we, have Jeff, we have Jeff and Susie. We have, you know, his dad. We don't, I mean, we don't have Cheryl's family, but they wouldn't give a shit. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I, I do think if this really was definitely a series finale, you would have brought, tried to bring back some more of those people, but... But which one, really? Who do you um, need? Definitely Danson. I think you would try. I mean, you see Danson in, in the clips a little bit. Right. Yeah, Danson hasn't been around for a couple of seasons. Yeah, least. so I guess I just went with the clips instead of uh, yeah. getting people in. I mean, could I make a proposal? Maybe Ted Danson or one of those other people. Maybe uh, Larry's father-in-law and mother-in-law. They're the worst people because they don't come to see you know their friend slash uh, son-in-law before he dies. Their absence makes them the, the worst person, the fucking asshole of the week. Um, yeah, all right. No, so it's, still, it's still it's still Cheryl, by the way. Um, well, yeah, we'll keep it in the family either way. Yeah, I mean, so I think the debate has to happen. So you had so Andy Portico had been the worst person for a long, long time, and then you argued at the end of season four that Mel Brooks was actually worse because he uh, puts on the whole <laughs> fake show the whole time. And 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 is that your position? You think he's worse than Andy Portico? Andy Portico is the is the critic. Yeah, with the thumbs. Yeah, that guy has sucked. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, I just think what Mel does is so evil and like so such a like a long con of screwing over so many people that it's uh, yeah. it's hard to compare with. So, but do you think that um, Cheryl showing her true colors in the end, that the moment her husband dies, all she cared about all along was the money? You don't think that puts her in contention? I mean, I guess I just don't. I don't even buy it though. That's like what part of it what doesn't work. It's like I don't actually buy that. That's who Cheryl is. Like, I, it's like she's not actually like that for through five episodes and nine, five seasons, so, and nine so episodes. So I guess does this come into the d- debate we were having before about whether Larry's been slowly, you know, getting worse for two months or whether he just woke up out of a coma? Because I think if he just woke up out of a coma, 
you're right. Like, she could never act this callous. Like, her husband, he's been in a coma for two months. She thought he's dead. And now all of a sudden he's back alive. And then all of a sudden he's dead again. And, like, you know, that would be, like, that would have to cause an emotional reaction. Whereas, if he's been getting worse and worse for two months, you know, you've already, you know, you already braced yourself for it. It's still awful how she acts, but it's a little bit less awful maybe. Yeah, I, it's a little less awful if, like, they've been sitting for two months and he was – it's, like, yeah. basically been a fait accompli for a month that this yeah, guy's going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just, like I, – I, I don't think it's consistent with the character that we've seen for five seasons that, like, mm. she – that she, the way she behaves in this episode. Um, so, you know, I'm will, so I'm willing to – Fifth, fifth time she's been nominated by me. <laughs> Fair. Uh, yeah, but, like, for different things, not just for being, like, having, like, blatant disregard for her, her husband's life. Uh, I feel like she always sided with everybody other than her husband at all times. Now, I, you know, hopefully that wouldn't mean that she was just in it for the money, but, you know. Yeah. I don't know. There's a song um, about her. Yes. Um, all right. And the uh, last email, as always, from Olin Allen. And he says, I had no expectations going to this one. Maybe the lowest key build up to a finale for the past couple of seasons. Uh, before watching, I was thinking of Av and Chester's clinical dissection of the lack of logic in the Korean bookie and how the more Looney Tunish curve was, the more I prefer it. And boy, did this episode deliver. Maybe because I watched the Academy Award winning film The Artist immediately before watching this episode, the psych gags just knocked me out, was laughing for ages at Richard Lewis's withered old man with a stick approaching from a distance. Larry meeting his older lookalike father and hanging out dressed like a waspish southern local was great. <laughs> I love the arguments in the hospital and the heaven piece. was wondering whether it was a Jewish heaven, but Ben Hogan may have dismissed that. Of course, Marilyn Monroe became a Jew, but yeah. maybe the all-time great golfers get an exemption. Susan Griffiths as Monroe adds further depth to the shared universe with Pulp Fiction. Mm. Yeah. Thankfully, Sophia Loren was and still is very much alive, as otherwise she would have been the woman greeting him in Larry Heaven. Mm. Uh, he gives it five full pretties out of five. Fucking wow. asshole of the week. Dustin Hoffman's guardian angel not being accepting of oh, Larry's wow. place in heaven. And the that's, come a with second, guy. that's a second person to say that. Yeah, I had him as the come with guy. Yeah. The two, the two come with guys. Well, the, t- the mm. come with guides. Yeah. Um, and he gives the come with guy to Christian Larry, so loving and forgiving and eager mm. to procreate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Christian, Christian Larry only. Um, yeah, I think uh, well, f- full five stars from all one. Good job. Uh, so next week, we uh, again, we take two years off, but then we uh, meet the blacks. Yeah. Um, do you think that we should get a, uh, a new black host to join our show? Mm. Just like Leon. To replace to to replace one of us or to join us and then eventually replace one of us. Yeah, I guess we could right because uh, right she he he moves in with Larry and Cheryl, but eventually Cheryl moves out and it's just uh, <laughs> right. just Leon and Larry. Yeah, yeah, which is how it's always meant to so be. So we can we can do that and maybe one of us will end up getting replaced. Yeah, and getting it'll a, be a mystery which one of us. The yeah. old By hippo. the way, totally, I would be totally uh, like uh, totally like Larry as a as a life partner. Totally better to be with Leon than Cheryl. Larry's better off with Leon than with Cheryl. Yeah, for sure. His I life is much so. better. Well, why? Because he, uh, well, I guess for, we'll see. The, I think he, he for the way he wants to live, ends. for the way he, but for the way that he wants to live his life, Leon aids and abets. Uh, Cheryl is always, you know, poo pooing, right? And you know, he he gets yeah. his sex on the outside. Yeah, Leon is an instigator. That's going to be a problem for Larry. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, he steps up. There are many situations where having a tough-looking black friend is important for Larry David in his lily white world. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just make sure not to come in at during tapping time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> It's actually really season six is Vivica Fox's season though. I mean, we'll get to it, but uh, Le- Leon emerges, right? Yeah, Leon yeah. is uh is slow. He grows to, on slow. you like a weed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
but then once he flowers, he's uh, he's pretty, 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 pretty good.